You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 30th day of August 2021. We'll be continuing on first with Chapter 2 of United Order, uh, Capitalism, Wealth, uh, Cursing or Blessing. Um, I pre-recorded the program for today, so uh, we'll just get right into it. Um, Emmett, do you mind uh, dedicating the program and then... uh, just go right into the first one. After we do the first one, we're opening up the phone lines. Anybody can call in at any time. We'll take a call 
in between the readings. There are eight readings for tonight. Um, seven from Sermons and Writings, Volume One, and one from uh, one from the United Order, which is the one that we're doing. So, all right, uh, go ahead. I gotta actually get out of the truck. So if you'll just uh, dedicate the program, Emma, and then just start in with the reading. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this day. Please help that we'll be able to do all the things that we need to do. Please help the radio show to go smooth. Connect or like uh, through it. Uh, please let the audio recordings work and let them be fine. Uh, please help my parents to fly safely whenever they go do that. And please help that you all have or a good day, depending on where anyone who's listening is. And I ask that you let us do all the things that we need to do. Amen. All right, and I'm playing recording number one. Capital Wealth, a blessing or a cursing. Chapter 2 of the United Order. Pages 11 through 15. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. If you had been a male born an Assyrian 1500 years before Christ, you probably would have been raised a soldier the rest of your life. You never would have learned a trade or owned a business. If you had been born in Egypt in the height of its glory, you would have probably been raised in the rock quarries, the mines, or as a farm slave, and would have lived in a mud hut. Pharaoh would have accumulated any excess profits, for he had assumed the position of a god, and you never would own a piece of ground. If you had lived in Athens, you would have been a slave to a huge bureaucratic group that exploited the masses by robbing them of their wealth and their liberties. Being born in the Roman Empire would have offered you little more. The emperors were corrupt dictators extracting money from the citizens by numerous and unreasonable taxes. The wealth of the Romans financed a huge government and an innumerable soldiers with all its barbarianism and corruption. In the Dark Ages, you would have been a serf under a feudal system, and all the wealth produced would have been taken by a feudal lord. If you were born in the Orient, anciently or presently, you likely would have no more prosperity than a few days of extra food. Page 12. America has been one of the few nations to ever offer the common citizen the privilege of owning land or property. But alas, in the last 200 years, it too has been corrupted by a huge government, excessive taxation, and diminishing freedoms. The natural disposition of most men is to exploit the wealth of others rather than to produce their own. Then after this wealth is obtained, they usually refuse to share it. 
The centralization of wealth into the pockets of the few has led to the downfall of countless empires and nations. When Egypt went down 2% of her population owned 97% of the wealth. When Babylon collapsed, 2% owned all of its wealth. And when Rome fell, 1,800 men owned all the known world. Today in America, 3% of its population owns nearly three-quarters of its wealth. In such unjust conditions, wealth is taken from the middle class, leaving only the poor and the rich. Eventually, the rich can control the markets and the prices and all other elements of society. A doctor or a sly politician or a shrewd lawyer or a man simulating a banker can quickly sweep away a man's lifetime of savings. With the stroke of a pen, a man can be reduced to poverty and bankruptcy. By the shrewd manipulation of unjust economics, a man can be reduced to welfare. It is the lust and love of wealth that turns men into robbers and thieves plundering the lives and the property of others. Page 13. What will men not do for gold? They will toil for it. They will lie for it. They They will swear for it and steal for it and murder for it. And they live for it and they die for it. They will do more and suffer more ten times over for the gold than they will do for or suffer for eternal life and happiness. Yet, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Millennial Star, Volume 14, page 369. It is not riches that create problems, but rather lusting after them. The more greed and selfishness in men, the greater their crimes and inequality. Why should one man own a castle, but his neighbor have a shack? The problem, then, is not the amount of money that men have, but rather how they obtain it and what they do with it. God often gives men wealth as a test. Many men use it only to gain more wealth, while others squander it. But wealth can also be used for doing good. A good man will consider wealth an obligation as a missionary tool to be used for the cause of Christ and his fellow men. He recognizes that all wealth belongs to God, the God who created it, and therefore he has the right to dictate how it should be used. He made the earth and all connected to it, organized it, and brought it forth and now he intends to see what the people will do with it, whether they are disposed to do anything more than to say, this is mine and that is thine. If you you cling to the world and say it is hard for you to do this or that, recollect the the, the, the love of the Father is not in you. Let me love the world as he loves it, to make it beautiful and glorified, glorify the name of my Father in heaven. It does not matter whether I or anybody else owns it. If we only work to beautify it and to make it glorious, it is all right. 
Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 308, or on page 14. When men are reduced to cheating, stealing, or committing murder for riches, it is because they have lost or do not have any spiritual understanding. When men can understand the nature of eternal riches and the glories of heaven, and the glories of heaven, then they will lust for then the lust for gold will have lost its glitter. There is a veil between man and eternal things. If that veil is taken away and we were able to see the eternal things as they are before the Lord, no man would be tried with regard to silver or gold or this world's goods, and no man on their account would be unwilling to let the Lord control him. And quote Wilford Woodruff, Journal of Discourses, volume 17, page 71. The proper perspective of life is to place God first and all else, all else second. In such a condition, God would be glad to give all the wealth of the earth to his children. What is our duty? It is our duty to improve upon every blessing the Lord gives us. If he gives us land, improve it. If he gives us the privilege of building houses, improve it. If he gives us wives and children, try and teach them the ways of the Lord and exalt them above the dark, degraded, and unsunken, I'm sorry, and sunken state of mankind. And quote, Journal of Discourses, volume 2, page 334, or on page 15. But when men prize their wealth more than the needs of their neighbor, there will be injustices in our society. While the old, the sick, and the poor are of less concern than the zeal for self-aggrandizement, we will li- live. We will live in sin. Man's attitude towards wealth will prove to be real success. I'm sorry. Man's attitude t- towards wealth will prove to be real success or his downfall. Since wealth and riches can be an important factor in his eternal salvation, they should be a sin an essential study among the principles of the gospel. So that's the end of that chapter. A little preview from the next chapter, uh, which starts on page 16. And by the way, you can read this for free at ogdenkraut.com. We're reading The United Order. Just go to ogdenkraut.com and then scroll down to read Ogden's books or read books online. And then uh, The United Order will be all the way down at the bottom of the list. So page 16. Oh, by the way, uh, the guest call-in number is open. The number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And I'll give a little preview for the next chapter. We'll read a page into it. And then um, we'll see if we can find some other stuff to read here. All right, so let's get into this. Um, Chapter 3. Enoch and his city. And Enoch and all his people walked with God, and he dwelt in the midst of Zion. And he came to, and it came to pass that Zion was not, for God received it up unto his own bosom. And from thence went forth 
the flee, uh, the saying, Zion is fled, Moses chapter 7, verse 69. While Adam was still alive on the earth, the greatest financial success story took place. From that time to the present, there has never been a society of equal to it, as the people were so righteous that they were translated. At this early date, God provided that crowning attainment for an example that others could follow and the man who made and the man who made it all possible was Enoch it is only through the mormon scriptures that we know the principles that that made our Enoch so great in the sight of god thus mormons should have a particular interest in the accomplishments of Enoch Enoch was born when Adam was 622 years old. In his youth, he said, My father taught me in all the ways of God. In spite of Enoch's speech impediment, handicapped, God called him to preach repentance to a wayward generation. To this end, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And to this call, Enoch replied, why is it that I have found favor in thy sight? And I am but a lad, and all the people hate me, for I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? Moses chapter 6, verse 31. So, um, I was thinking about wealth and sacrifice last night as I was driving. And I was thinking about how... Abraham sacrificed his livestock. And in our day and age, we might think that's, you know, a little interesting. But if you understand that Abraham's wealth was determined by how much livestock he had and the correlation of how much wealth we have and how we might not have livestock, but we have uh our money and our time and our talents that our sacrifice might be in money, but it was kind of the same for Abraham and his sacrifice because his livestock determined how wealthy he was. Anyway, it's just a a thing I was thinking about. Okay, Emmett, uh, is that the end of that first part? Yep. Okay. It's hard to hear you. I think you said yes. Yeah, I did. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Um, so the guest call-in line is open all night tonight. Any questions or comments that have to do with uh, Mormonism or fundamental Mormonism or any of that? Um, I don't know everything, but I think I know a lot. So, anyway, um, the chat room is also available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text to that uh, that we just read is at facebook.com forward slash LAZURUS1977. So, uh, Emmett, if you'll play part uh, number two, uh, second clip. And then um, if I don't get back to you right as soon as 
the clip is over with. Um, try to just go on to the next clip if I don't respond. I'm actually headed up Hiawatha Hill, Four Mile Hill or whatever, past our friend's place, and uh, I'm about to go into Emory County, and for about eight miles, it's really spotty service. So uh, can you check the chat room as well? Emma, is there anybody on the phone line or in the chat room? Nope, not now. Okay. Do you have that right on? Uh, no. Where's your headset? I have no idea. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead and mute yourself. I'll mute myself and go on to clip two. This, by the way, everyone, this is from Sermons and Writings, and I think we're starting on page 10, and this talk is just on page 10. No, I think it's 11. 10, no, 10 to 12. Anyway, whatever. Go ahead, Emma. Addison Everett's letter to Oliver B. Huntington, February 17, 1881. Dear brother, in answer to your request, I will state that I have heard the following conversation between Joseph and Hiram Smith in the front of the mansion in Nauvoo a few days before they were martyred. Hiram was telling Joseph that William Law apostatized because Joseph believed in a plurality of gods. Joseph said, Who told him I did? I did not. Joseph went on to, and said, Now, brethren, if you will prepare a good lot of seats on the stand, I will preach to you a sermon on the plurality of gods from the fifth and sixth verses of the first chapter of Revelation. He was murdered before he had a chance to preach the sermon. In the conversation between Joseph and Hiram, Oliver Caldry was spoken of. Joseph said, poor boy, and went on and said that Coles, at Colesville, he and Lovier were under arrest on a charge of deceiving the people. When they were at the justice's house for a trial in the evening, all were waiting for Mr. Reed, Joseph's lawyer. And while waiting, the justice asked Joseph some questions, among which was this. What was the first miracle Jesus performed? Joseph Smith replied, he made this world, and what followed we are not told. Mr. Reed came in and said he wanted to speak to his client in private, and that the law allowed him that privilege that he, uh, he believed. The judge pointed to a door at, at a room in the back part of the house and told them to step in there. As soon as they got into the room, the lawyer said that there was a mob outside in the front of the house, and if they get a hold of you, they will perhaps do you bodily injury. And I think the best way for you to get out of this is to get right out there, pointing to the window and hoisting it. They got into the woods in going a few rods from the house. It was night, and they, and they traveled through brush and water and mud, fell over logs, etc., until Oliver was exhausted. 
But Joseph Smith helped him along through the mud and water, almost carrying him. They traveled at night, and just as the break, and just at the break of day, Oliver gave out entirely and exclaimed, "O oh Lord, brother Joseph, how long have we got to endure this thing?" They sat down on a log to rest, and Joseph said that that very at that very time Peter, James, and John came to them and ordained them to the apostleship. They had 16 or 17 miles to go to get back to Mr. Hale's, his father-in-law's. But Oliver did not complain any more of fatigue. Now, Brother Huntington, I have told you what I heard Brother Joseph tell almost the only time I ever heard him talk. It is a source of satisfaction to have seen and heard the prophet of God. Yours truly Oliver B. Huntington, and that comes from the uh, the Young Woman's Journal, November 1890, Volume 2, pages 75 and 76. Okay, I'm on Horseshoe right now. Yeah, and Emma, can you hear me fine? Yep. Okay, so this account is when uh, Oliver and Joseph received the Melchizedek priesthood restored to the earth by Peter, James, and John. Now, one interesting thing about this, and I'll talk about the first part of the little talk last, because uh, I'm going to address the last part first. Um, Oliver and Joseph went through a ton of, of crap. A lot of crap for their testimony. Oliver was one of the witnesses. He saw the place and he saw the angel. And uh, there was uh, three witnesses who saw the angel in the place and then there was a bunch of others. I can't remember right now. Eleven, maybe. I, I can't remember. Anyway, but actually did see the place. Now, if all of that was fake, and Oliver is being cast into prison over and over and over, you think if it was fake, he would uh, strike up a plea deal, a plea deal or something, and uh, and tell the uh, judge, jury, and everybody else that you know that Joseph Smith faked it all. But he didn't. He kept his testimony. I know by revelation that the Book of Mormon is true. I know that the doctrines taught in the Book of Mormon are from God, and I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Whether or not it is a literal history or uh, inspired fan fiction matters not to me, but I do know that it's true. And I believe that the place did exist, they were not gold. They were an alloy that was gold in appearance. And we know what kind of alloy that was. Now, it's unfortunate that Joseph Smith wasn't able to give us his sermon on Revelations chapter 1. But I will attempt to give a bottle 
not dissertation. I don't even know what you would call it. But what he's talking about there is we're in Revelation chapter 1. It states that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, hath made us kings and priests unto God, that's the Father of Jesus Christ, and to his Father. Now, if you understand the Adam-God doctrine, which is a true doctrine, you understand that uh, that Michael is our father, both spiritually and physically. According to Joseph Smith, who received this information from, no, it's Brigham Young, who received this information from Joseph Smith, Michael was a celestial being with a body. He was already resurrected. Now, in the sermon at the Grove, uh, which was the last sermon that Joseph Smith gave, and then uh, the King Fuller discourse goes into this, which is right near the end of his uh, Joseph Smith's life. <coughs> Excuse me. If you understand those two sermons, you understand how this all works. Michael lived on an older earth. He was a savior on an older earth and had received his exaltation and resurrection with one of his wives, whose name is Ashura. He came onto this earth under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim, who is not Jesus Christ, and the council of the Elohim, who are the gods or the mighty ones, under the direction of God the Eternal Father. So there is a plurality of gods. Um, real quick, Joseph, or Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon both taught that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are not the same person. And real quick, in Ether chapter 3, Mohanrei Mori Ankimer sees Jesus as the spirit of Jesus, who has a spirit body, and he says, this is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh, and that he had never showed himself to man before on the earth, which is interesting because Jehovah had appeared to many before the flood in the antediluvian world, and also... After the flood, he sat down with Abraham and had a meal with the body of meat and dairy. This is all while Jesus Christ is a spirit being. Now, one other thing real quick. It's really interesting to me that the brother of Jared chose shining stones to fill the vessel that uh, the vessels that he was building with light. Where did he get that information from? He didn't pull that out of thin air. The Jews know that, Mo or that Noah lit up the inside of the ark in a similar manner. And the brother of Jared lived pretty close to the time after Noah lived. And the brother of Jared knew about the stones that, gl that glowed. He didn't just make that out, up out of nothing. And this stuff is not in the Bible, but this stuff is known by the Jews in their ancient records. Joseph Smith 
a teenager in upstate New York would not have known that, but it's in the Book of Mormon. That is one of your evidences that the Book of Mormon is legit. Now, if you take that and you take that as your evidence, you're still placing your trust in the arm of flesh, and you should get a spiritual testimony like I have uh, about these, these things. However, because the enemy understands the anatomy of spiritual experiences, uh, well, they've been putting crap in your water for a long time, and it's calcifying the pineal gland, which is uh, your, an organ in your body, some call it the third eye, and when that is calcified, your spiritual experiences will be decreased greatly, if not completely. So for those of you out there who have tried and prayed to know that the Book of Mormon's true and you have never been able to get a testimony of that by a spiritual experience, I'm sorry about that. If you contact me on Messenger on Facebook, I'll tell you how to kill yourself of that problem. But we need to know that the Book of Mormon's true either by believing the testimony of others like myself who have have had a great, many great, many spiritual witnesses about the reality of the truth of the Book of Mormon. Now, I was kind of lucky um, growing up. I grew up a lot in Spencer, Idaho, which is just about 14 miles south of the Montana-Idaho border on I-15 up on the Continental Divide. And we did not have city water. We had well water from the ground, pure as pure can be. That, that water was so good. And I was not poisoned like many of the rest of you with uh, the calcium and the uh, chloride and the other chemicals that they have put in drinking water to destroy you spiritually. It, this is something that the enemy knows all about, and they didn't put fluoride in your water to help your teeth. It doesn't help your teeth. It actually causes a lot of problems in your mind, in your brain, uh, and also your spiritual receptors, which are a physical part of you. So um, I don't blame anybody for not, uh, you know, they, they've prayed and prayed and prayed, and they've never got a spiritual testimony, but I do know that the Book of Mormon's true, and I do know that God lives, and I have seen him, our Father, Michael, and Jesus Christ, face-to-face in the flesh. They do have resurrected bodies. Now, um, when Jesus was on the cross, um, he told the thief, that, well, the thief said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I could go on to whole dissertation on that. Um, the thief on the cross was actually a follower of Jesus Christ, or Yeshua HaMashiach. Or you call him Yeshua Ben Yosef, or whatever. Anyway, but we'll call him Jesus, because that's the popular vernacular. Anyway, so um, he actually, God gave me information on the thief on the cross. He was a thief. 
he died for his sins because he did things that were not good. But he had given his life to Jesus Christ, and he heard, heard Jesus Christ preaching a sermon that came upon him in the wilderness. Now, when the, the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, it's because he knew that Jesus Christ was the great prophet who he proclaimed to be. And even more than that, the Son of God. Now, something interesting that Jesus says to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So Jesus isn't a liar. He, he went to paradise that day with the thief on the cross. But three days later, when he was resurrected, the first person he goes to was Miriam, his wife, or who we call Mary at the Garden Zoom. Mary, when she realized that Jesus was talking to her, he, she said she ran to him to embrace him, her husband. And Jesus put his hand up and he says, hold me not for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go unto my brethren and tell them, I ascend unto my God, or my Father and to your Father, that's Michael, our common Father, and to your God and to my God. That's Jehovah, your Elohim, who is not Jesus Christ. It ties perfectly in with Revelations chapter 1, where Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God, that's Michael, our Elohim, our Father of our spirit and our, uh, our flesh, and to Jehovah, our Elohim. There is a plurality of gods. The gods are called the Elohim, or the Mighty Ones, or the El. They are under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, who is above all gods, and he and his wife, their names are Adam Amen and Eve Amen. And they are one in unity with each other. And no one else stands beside them. But under their authority are the councils of the exalted ones who are called the Elohim. Jehovah is one of the Elohim, and he is our Elohim, and he was a redeemer on an older earth. And he was a father in the position that Michael holds for this earth, but on an older earth. And Jesus Christ, when he paid for our sins, he becomes our father through the law of adoption. And he will go on as a resurrected being with his wife, Miriam, who you call Mary, and his other wives on other worlds. And he will populate that world like Michael came onto this world. Michael came into this world with a resurrected being, with one of his wives, Eve. And he took upon himself the name of God, the Eternal Father. And Eve, who is Ashura, took upon herself the name of Eve, the Eternal Mother. And they partook of the fruit of the garden until they descended from a celestial resurrection, which cannot have physical children, down to the point of a terrestrial resurrection, and they were able to uh, continue to go down to a celestial level resurrection and have children. We call them um, uh, Seth and uh, Cain and Abel, and they had 
many, many, many children to begin the population of this earth. At the end of their life, they were translated and went back to a terrestrial level resurrection and waited with the gods in the church of the firstborn and the resurrected beings upon the city of Enoch. When Jesus Christ was time for Jesus to come onto this earth, the star that the Magi, who were the disciples of Daniel the prophet in Babylon, they saw the star over Bethlehem and they made their way to Jerusalem and then they went to Bethlehem. The star that they saw was the city of Enoch shining with the light of the sun in the night of the earth. That's the star they saw. It was off in the distance. They went to it. They went under it. Michael, who is Adam, came down and Mary, well, actually, Miriam went up to the mountain of the house of the Lord on the city of Enoch. And she went through a healing process where she was sealed to our father, Michael, who is Adam. And they consummated in the same way that consummation happened, the child who became Yeshua, who we call Jesus. Emmett, can you still hear me? Yep. Okay. I know I break up when I come into Castle Dell, so I just wanted to make sure. Anyway, so when when Michael impregnated Miriam, his wife, she gave birth to a man, a child, who was part God part terrestrial and part celestial. He had the power to control the elements, and he had the power over death because of his DNA. Now, it's really interesting. The DNA of Jesus actually has 23 chromosomes for the mother and one chromosome, which is very unlike any other chromosome for the father. The only reason we know that is because Ron Wyatt was able to go into where the the um, Ark of the Covenant is. And when Jesus Christ was sacrificed and they pushed the, the spear through his side, there was an earthquake which created a fissure in the ground which allowed the blood in the water to sprink, sprinkle the mercy seat. And Ron Wyatt was instructed by the angel to take a sample of that blood to a Jewish lab in Israel they reconstituted the blood and it was still alive 2,000 years after the fact. When they did the DNA test to see what kind of blood it was, they found out that there were 23 chromosomes on the feminine side, but only one chromosome on the masculine side. They asked, whose blood is this? And Ron Wyatt told them exactly whose blood it was. And they knew at that point that their ancestors did murder the Son of God. And they tore their garments and repented with sore vexation. 
Now, they've tried to go in and get that ark out of the ground, and everybody who touches it, except for Ron Wyatt, he had permission, they all die. In fact, Ron Wyatt had to go in there with a bodyboard and put the, the priests on the bodyboard and bring them out from the cave, Jeremiah's Grotto, where the Ark of the Covenant still sits to this day, with the mercy seat sprinkled on the, or with the blood of the Savior sprinkled on the mercy seat still. But there is so much more to the reality of God and the gods than most of the Christian world understands. And uh, I just want to let you know that I know that they live. I have seen them face to face. And that um, one more thing before I, we go on to the next clip. When I sat down with Jesus in 2003, he told me that all the things that I had went through in my life that were hard for me to understand, that were very brutal. My upbringing was violent and neglectful, and there were drugs with parents and all kinds of stuff. He told me that it was for his wife's purpose that I was placed in that family and that I went through the things that I have gone through. And pondering over the experience and the words of Jesus Christ, I have come to understand that this life, the purpose of this life is not about happiness or sadness. The purpose of this life is to grow and experience both the good and the evil and to uh, learn how to react to it. These experiences that we go through, whether they're good or bad, give us uh, knowledge and growth. So um, I don't know who needed to hear that. My friend David, perhaps, uh, who is stuck in his room all the time because of health problems. And I, I don't know uh, details about, like, why we have to go through some of the things that we have to go through, but because of my own experiences, I understand so many things more than if I would have never gone through them. And so I find them valuable and I'm grateful for them, even though I feel I, I personally hate them and never want to have to go through anything like that ever again. But I'm grateful for the experiences and for the knowledge that I have been able to obtain by going through those experiences that I never would have been able to have otherwise. So, all right, uh, next clip, three, go ahead, Emma. Oh, by the way, um, the chat room is available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, and the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Emma, go ahead and play the next clip, and then if we have any questions or comments uh, on the, you know, the telephone line or the chat room, uh Go ahead, and we'll just uh, we'll bring them on to the program. But but for now, play the next clip for this uh, tonight's program, and I'll mute myself. Page twelve of writing our sermons and writings, volume one. Parley P. Pratt's testimony, November twenty seventh, eighteen thirty six. A vast concourse assembled at an early hour. 
Every seat was crowded, and four or five hundred people stood up in the aisles. Brother Smith gave the history of these things related to many particulars of the manner of his first vision. The spirit and power of God was upon him in bearing testimony insomuch that many, if not most, of the congregation were in tears. As for myself, I can say that all the reasoning is uncertain, uncertainty and all the conclusions drawn from the writings of others, however great in themselves, dwindle into insignificance when compared with the living testimony when your eyes see and your ears hear from the living oracle of God. Parley P. Pratt Papers, LDS Archives. Um, Emmett, just go ahead and play the next clip. I'm actually jumping out of my truck to get my gate locked so I can dump this coal into the grid at the power plant. You get all that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next clip. That was a Thank short you. one. Yeah, it was. All right, go ahead. Bill said Woodruff's account of spiritual gifts during the Kirtman period, March the 23rd, 1837. I repaired to the house of the Lord at an early hour in the morning to spend the day in prayer and fasting with the saints in Kirtland, as this was a day set apart for that purpose. Immediately after entering the house in company with several other elders, I went within the veil and we bowed down before the Lord in the Aaronic stand and offered a morning sacrifice and the Spirit of God rested upon us with joy to our souls. The time was taken up during the day in each apartment in singing, exhortation, and prayer. Some had a tongue, others an interpretation, and all was in order. The power of God rested upon the people. The gifts were poured out upon us. Some had the administering of angels and the image of God sat upon the countenances of the saints. At 4 o'clock p.m. the veils were all rolled up together which brought the whole congregation in full view of each other and while the presence of the Lord filled the house, the congregation was far better to preach what the people would call the small things of the Bible than to enter into the visions of Isaiah, Zechiel, and John and C. President Sidney Reader next spoke and said many important things and impressed it upon the elders of Israel with great force and eloquence to later with their mites this once for the redemption of Kirtland that Israel may be safe and free and of a place to set his foot for if we do give heed to the word we should sin less. After the presidency closed their remarks the twelve were called upon to break bread for the multitude as Jesus did in the days of the apostles that they might all be filled. They did so and we were all filled and were made glad while feasting with patriarchs, prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and deacons. After the feast was closed, thanks was returned to God with uplifted hands to heaven, this being about the setting of the sun. All had the privilege of returning to their homes that felt disposed and the rest might spend the night in the house of the Lord in prayer and exhortation, praise and thanksgiving. At about candlelight the meeting commenced with great interest. Joseph requested the congregation to speak their feelings freely and pray according to the Spirit. The saints began to open their mouths and they were filled with language unto edification, one a prayer, another exhortation, some a doctrine and some, others a tongue, 
some interpretation. Prophecy was also poured out upon us and all things was done decently and in order and the night was spent gloriously by the saints. Much of the gifts of the gospel rested upon us. One brother clothed with the gift of tongues laid his hands upon my head and prophesied great blessings upon me. Another brother possessing the interpretation uttered it unto me to my joy and consolation with the many blessings pronounced upon my head. He rehearsed the blessing that Jacob pronounced upon the heads of Joseph and said that I should possess the blessings of heaven and of earth and be much blessed in my ministry and see. Much prophecy was uttered upon the heads of many of the saints in other languages and was interpreted which was glorious. Thus was this day and night spent gloriously and those scenes will long be remembered. Rejoice, O earth, and shout, O heavens, for the natural fruit of the tame olive tree is again manifest in the earth. The fig tree is putting forth leaves. The church of Christ is traveling out of the wilderness with her gifts and graces which edify the body of Christ. The house of God is reared in beauty and splendor according to the pattern given by the visions of heaven and the revelations of Jesus Christ. O ye Gentiles, come and receive the gospel. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, and partake of the blessing of God with Israel, that you may be hid under the shadow of the Almighty in the day of God's wrath and indignation upon Babylon which is at hand. The meeting continued until break of day when we all dispersed to our homes with great joy and consolation. May the Lord bless the saints, and have mercy upon the poor, the sick and the afflicted, and deliver Israel from the Gentile yoke for Jesus' sake. Amen. April 7, 1837 I spent the day in writing my journal, and when the shades of evening began to appear I repaired to the house of the Lord in company with elders Milton Holmes and Joseph B. Nobles for the purpose of worshipping God. We entered one of the stands within the vales, and fell upon our knees, and Satan appeared also but not to worship God, but to deprive us of the privilege. Satan strove against us with great power by tempting and otherwise. He at one time drove me from my stand while I was striving with my brethren to enter into the visions of heaven. Notwithstanding his apparent victory, good grew out of it for by going into the outer court, I there found Elder Freeman near Kirsten, an aged father in Israel who was faithful and prayed to God always. I solicited him to join us in prayer that we might gain a victory over Satan and get at the hand of God. He joyfully accepted the invitation and we again entered the stand being four of us in number of one accord in one place. We had great cause to be united in heart. We all had traveled together about 1,000 miles in the spring of 1834 for the redemption of Zion. We at that time offered to lay down our lives and our offering was accepted as was Abram's. We felt considering those circumstances that we could kneel down and unitedly get a blessing by faith through Jesus Christ. We fell upon our knees and began to cry unto God. Satan departed, temptation found no place in our hearts. The power of God rested upon us and we were baptized with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God was like fire shut up in our bones. We were immersed in the liberty of the sons of God. Many great things were shown unto us. 
the power of God and the spirit of prophesy and revelation rested upon us. I rose and proclaimed many glorious things upon the heads of my beloved brethren that were present which were dictated in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I, Wilford testify in the name of Jesus Christ that many precious things were shown me concerning my brethren by the Holy Spirit in prophecy and revelation. Our hearts were made glad, and we went our way rejoicing. Ninth, Son. Morning. President F. Reden addressed the congregation and laid before them their situation as to temporal things as the Gentiles are striving to besiege the saints to death. He also stated that the presidency had used every means for the deliverance of the church, but as many of the church had refused pertinent currency, which was their temporal salvation, in consequence of this they put strength in the hands of their enemies, and those that had done this thing must suffer by it. Sidney closed and Joseph arose and like the line of the tribe of Judah, he poured out his soul in the midst of the congregation of the saints. But who can find language to write his words and teachings as with an iron pen in a rock that they may stand for future generation to look upon? A fountain of knowledge rolled from his mouth to the people which was the word of God. Yea, in the name of God he proclaimed that severe judgment awaited those characters that professed to be his friends and friends to humanity and the curtain safety society, but had turned traitors and opposed the currency and its friends which has given power into the hands of the enemy and oppressed the poor saints. Such have become covenant breakers, for which they will feel the wrath of God as true as Joseph is a prophet. Joseph uttered the feelings of his soul in pain, while viewing the poverty and afflictions of Ephraim, or the saints in Kirtland at least that false brethren should be wired walls and bring perils upon the saints. Joseph is as a father to Ephraim and to all Israel in these last days. He mourns because of unbelief and the negligence manifested with many who have received the gospel in obeying the commands of God. He fears lest but few be left to receive an inheritance. There is not a greater man than Joseph standing in this generation. The Gentiles look upon him and he is to them like a bed of gold concealed from human view. They know not his principle, his spirit, his wisdom, virtue, philanthropy, nor his calling. His mind, like Enoch's, swells wide as eternity. Nothing short of a God can comprehend his soul. Wilford Woodruff Journal Wilford Woodruff Account Okay, I guess that's the end of that clip. I guess I cut it off too early. Uh, Emmett? Uh, do we have anybody in the chat room or on the call, in the call room? Emma, I cannot hear you. You need to put the phone up to your face if you're not going to use the headset. No, no one's called in. Okay. Uh, what clip was that? Was that three or four? I think that was four. Okay, just go ahead and play the next one, and, um, well, yeah, I'll just play the next one. We have eight all together tonight, so if that's four, then go on to the next one, and we'll uh, listen to that one as well. Go ahead.
Wilfred Woodruff's dismay at world rejection of gospel o ye inhabitants of the earth. Why will you fight against God? It is hard to kick against the pricks. God is not to be mocked. He has set his hand again the second time to recover his people, as declared by the prophet Isaiah, and he has said, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. And so it is, the people are astonished to see the Lord work, and it is truly marvelous in their eyes to see their wise men, priests, put down by the striplings whom God has called from the plow, and commissioned by direct revelation from heaven to preach his gospel in all the world. God always works by means, and he has chosen the means by which he is to do his marvelous work in the last days, which work is preparatory to the second advent of Christ. And all those who fight against it, will find to their shame, that they are fighting against God, vain men. Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Times and Seasons, Editorial 2, 234. Okay, just go ahead and play the next one if there's nobody in the chat room or the studio. Uh, by the way, no I guess before you do that. What's up? Oh, no one's there. Oh. Okay, that's fine. Uh, just for people who are listening, and I do know people listening because I see the information. There's usually between two to 400 people who listen tonight, but... Um, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and there is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon uh, for any questions or comments. Go ahead, Emma, and play the next clip. Wilfred Woodruff's report of persecution, March 16, 1839. I concluded to go and spend the night with Brother Hale, and we had an interesting time together in talking about our travels together upon the islands of the sea, and also Branch. Hale gave me an account of his sufferings, and those of his family, and all the saints in Missouri during the past winter. For they have suffered much from the inhabitants of Missouri, who have turned mob with Governor Boggs at their head. They came upon the saints from time to time in battle array. They shot the saints down like wild beasts, and butchered others in cool blood, and knocked the brains out of some after they had taken them prisoners. The soldiers shot down the cattle, cows and hogs of the saints for the purpose of destroying them. The saints at times stood in their own defense, and some of their enemies fell before them, and in consequence of which the governor issued orders for the final extermination of the saints out of the state, and sent a general after his own heart to execute his orders forthwith, and this is the cause of their leaving the state and coming to Quincy. The whole city of Far West had to surrender to the militia. The presidency with about 60 others were cast into prison and chains. They are all delivered excepting eleven persons. The mob used every exertion to take the life of Joseph and others, but through the mercy of God their lives were in the hands of God and not their enemies. 
Elder David W. Patton, one of the twelve apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints chosen to bear the keys of this last kingdom was one of the martyrs of the persecution in Missouri in the winter of 1838. He sealed his testimony with his blood. He died strong in that faith that he had boldly declared through the USA for the last seven years of his life. Ampersand C. Wilfred Woodruff Journal. Okay, okay, that's so all the exterminate. Okay, what which quote was that? Was that a seven or eight? Uh that was six. Six, okay. Alright, so we have two more. Um, real quick, the extermination order given by Wilburton W. Boggs was actually a reply to something that Sidney Rigdon stated and Wil uh Wilburn W. Boggs basically just Sidney Rigdon said, you know, we're going to fight to the death and we'll wipe everyone out and whatever. So Wilburn W. Boggs, who was the governor, basically said the same thing. Uh, the exterminor, uh, extermination order uh, in the 1828 uh, Webster's Dictionary, uh, it didn't mean to kill. It just meant to, uh, to you know, send out of the state. But there were many people who were massacred, including men, women, and children, young children, because their parents were Mormons. And there was no justification for the things that were happening in Missouri in those days. Um, I don't care what the saints were doing. They, they were being a little bit of a pain in the butt. You know, they were running around telling everybody that this was their land and this is Zion and they're going to, Populate, and a lot of people are coming into the area too. So you've got a bunch of Southerners who are ignorant as all hell that were uh, that lived in the area, and you've got a bunch of up, upstate New Englanders and people from England and Canada coming into the territory there, yeah, and it caused a huge uh, uh, division. But more than that, any time. Anyone raises his head up to oppose the devil's kingdom, he will send his people after them. And I have had this—I uh, had the sad experience of being the brunt end of persecution uh, as well. Um, not so much as these guys were, where they were murdered for what they knew, but. Um, Satan knows who I am. I opposed him in the war in heaven, and I was one of the mighty and strong ones. Now, there are 15 for each earth, and that does include the Father, God the Creator, who is Michael Adams, God the Redeemer, who is Jesus, and God the Witness. Then there are 12 others who are also mighty and strong, and four uh, of those guys come with one of the major mighty and strong ones who in the beginning was God the Father, our Father Michael, who was mighty and strong. And in that distance, that major dispensation, now there's dispensations within dispensations, but there are three major dispensations of the celestial order of this earth. There are also dispensations after this earth becomes a terrestrial world. The millennium has dispensations as well. 
but um, the Father came in the first dispensation, and four others who were also mighty and strong came in that dispensation, and they are in this order. Enoch, who was mighty and strong. Noah, who was mighty and strong. Moses, who was mighty and strong. And Elijah, who was mighty and strong. Under the quorum of 15, for this earth, there are many who are noble and great, and those are the other prophets, like Abraham, who was a great patriarch, Jacob, these guys. They were they were uh, in the position of noble and great, which is like a 70 for this earth. John the Baptist, or Yochanan the Immerser, or Yochanan ben Zachariah, came as one mighty and strong to prepare the way for the for the coming of Mashiach ben Judah, who is God the winner, who we know as Jesus Christ. Peter, James, and John were also mighty and strong to begin the church and to lay, uh, to continue to build up the church after uh, the, ecclesia, uh, the Ecclesia, or the Assembly of God, after the resurrection. Joseph Smith was mighty and strong, who was like John the Baptist, who was an Elias that came to lay the foundation for Zion's redemption. I am the witness. That's why I have seen the Father and the Son face to face. That's why the Father laid his physical hands upon me and gave me the fullness of the priesthood and all the keys to the priesthood and the kingdom. There are others who will come who are also mighty and strong. This whole idea in section 85 that Jesus said, I will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order. He didn't say I would send the one mighty and strong. There are 15 for this earth, and they include the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And Satan will try to destroy us every time because he knows what kind of threat we are. And as we lift up our head to oppose the devil's kingdom with truth and honor, he will try to destroy us with people who are of weak mind who he controls, who are imps on the earth, also demonic uh, spirits. But anyway, uh, go ahead, Emmett, and play the next clip, and I'll mute my mic. Okay. Conclusion. Securing this great treasure. Chapter 16 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 302 to 314. And there ran a young man, and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Dad do prophesy in the camp. And Moses said unto him, Enviest thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. By now we should have learned the several important things pertaining to that piece of the priesthood. Or just stop it. Is that the yeah. one that says seven? Because I don't think that one, that was something from the other day. It says seven. 
Okay, uh, go ahead and just play eight. Hopefully, it isn't. Uh, I was pretty tired when I was doing this this morning, so maybe I accidentally did something I didn't mean to do. Anyway, go ahead and play eight, and I'll mute myself. Okay. Wilfred Woodruff's Reflections, June 21st, 1840, from Adam, man descended and prospered and blessed until he polluted the earth by sin and wickedness to that degree that God destroyed the whole world by a flood except eight souls, and they went forth and again peopled the earth, and were always blessed when they kept the commandments of God, and were cursed when they broke them. God blessed Abram and made covenants with him and his seed. Though Israel was in slavery as it were under Pharaoh, yet when they cried unto God and were humble, God raised up Moses and delivered them and cursed the Egyptian nation and overthrew them. God overthrew the Canaanites and gave the land to Israel. Nation after nation has risen, flourished, and fallen from generation to generation. Babylon, the excellency of the Chaldeans, and the glory of kingdoms, was in her turn laid in the dust, and while the curse of God rested upon many nations for their sins and for Israel's sake, Israel forgot her God and turned to idols, and proved the Lord to be equal in all his ways by scattering Israel to the four winds of heaven, overthrowing Jerusalem, laying her palaces, synagogues, and temples, in the dust to be trodden down by the Gentiles, while Judah was driven like the dumbass under his burden scattered among all nations as corn was sifted in a sieve. The Gentile nations took our lands, were grafted in where Israel was broken off and partook of the fatness of her olive tree, and for a short season brought forth her fruit. Then Rome arose, and Greece in her turn have both spread themselves like a green bay tree and strove to have their branches reached to heaven, while built upon Judah ruin, who at the same time is receiving double at the hand of God for all his sins. Greece and Rome in their turn fall to the ground, and out of Rome comes forth ten kingdoms who are now struggling for the mastery to sway the scepter over the earth. But in vain, in vain, do ye strive, O ye Gentiles, for this thing. Ye are only fuel for the fire and tender for the breath of the Almighty. Ye have not continued in the goodness of God, neither have ye sought to recover Israel. Woe, 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 unto you Rome, for you are the mother of harlots, and woe unto all your daughters, England and America not accepted. Your destruction is sure. Your condemnation lingereth not, and your damnation slumbereth not. For you are all drunk with the blood of saints. You have spoiled Judah and Ephraim you have trodden down. But he will rise again and fulfill the word of God on thee. Wilfred Wood of Journal. Okay, well, I guess that's the end. Uh, Emmett, is there anybody in the chat room or on the studio? Can he call in? Nope. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we will end the program at this point. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Now, um, I will try to have a program ready for tomorrow as well. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to do that or not. We'll just have to see. Uh, now, I will not be on Wednesday, uh, the 1st of September, because 
We have a flight to catch really early in the morning out of Salt Lake International Airport, and we have a six-hour layover in Denver before we go on to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, going to my father-in-law's funeral. And uh, I just, I'm going to be working tomorrow night, a partial, a partial night, but uh, we got to get out of here about midnight. So I got to be done by midnight so that we can drive up to Salt Lake. And I haven't been in a plane in since 2012, and I'm not looking forward to it. I am terrified of being in an airplane, but. You know, it is what it is, and I'm going to support my wife, and uh, we're going to go to our, well, my father-in-law's funeral, her her dad's funeral. So, all right, well, uh, that's the end of the program. So remember uh, to follow me on Facebook.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon and TikTok.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon 1977. And uh, I will post, I will be posting things there. Uh, even if we don't do a program, I do post in both of those places as well. So, all right, thank you, Emmett. Uh, go ahead and cue the music, and I'll mute my mic. You mute your mic, and I will call you after the program is over. Thank you, everyone. Take care. God bless, and goodbye. Mm-hmm. 